dedication on to them. And so this morning we are continuing, because of our child dedication uh, service that we have enjoyed together, we're continuing in this little series of looking at families. And I just want to say if there's any other children uh, that uh, are looking um, and their parents are looking to bring them for dedication, do do so because then we can have the third message in, uh, in this particular series looking at families. So uh, talk uh, to me and we'd be delighted to be able to do this because it is important. We do see it very clearly in Scripture and it's something that uh, we can uh, take hold of. So uh, who can remember what uh, the verse was that we spoke of last time when Chloe came for her dedication? I won't look at John particularly, but uh, can you remember? It was Colossians chapter 3, verse 21. And it's uh, a verse that says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Very, very uh, powerful verse and a verse that we need to understand because of the responsibility that we as fathers, but not just fathers, but as mums and dads, as families together have. And uh, this morning, we want to look at the second, uh, well, really the first verse, because we were talking about verses 20 and 21 last time, but we decided to look at verse 21 before looking at verse 20. And some of the young people may remember that I had made the point that if you want to call in sick, this Sunday would be the one that you should consider because the verse that we're looking at now is, uh, is the verse beforehand in Colossians 3, uh, verse 20, which says, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. And already I can see some smiles on some of the faces of our young people and they're thinking, shucks, I should have made sure that I'd called in sick this morning because who wants to be obedient in all things to their parents and I certainly remember that crisis uh, trying to work out how you could get away with it but mum always seemed to know there was no getting away from mum. dad on the other hand it was easier to get around but mothers for some reason have this innate ability to determine many things that are neither said nor seen but they know all the details and it's amazing how God has created us all to be different however Young people that are here this morning, you'll be pleased to know that um, I believe that the verse that we have before us is possibly more important to our parents than it is to us. Because if you think about it for a moment, who's the responsibility on here? You know, it says that you have to obey, but how do you know what's right and how do you know what's wrong? Okay. So can you begin to see the imperative that the Scriptures are placing on us to be able to understand? Immediately we see that this verse, or from this verse, that obedience in our lives as young people has to have a clear link with how our parents teach us and how they bring us up. But we also see very clearly that there is a clear link in our behavior to our relationship with God. That's what the verse says very, very clearly. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this well pleases the Lord. If you don't obey your parents in all things, God's not pleased about that. So there's a link which we have to look at, and it's very, very clear that that link exists. You see, if you're rebellious towards your parents, I can tell you, you will be rebellious towards God. That's how it works. If you do not respect your parents... You won't respect your heavenly father. You won't respect God. 
If you turn your back on your parents, then you will turn your back on God because these things go hand in hand. The scriptures make this very, very clear. And as you read the scriptures, you begin to understand the imperative, the importance that there is in the way that we react and behave with our parents and our relationship with God. If you choose to deliberately disobey your parents, you will deliberately disobey God because you've come to church, you've heard your parents, you know what God wants for us and so we can be deliberately disobedient. But this also means that parents, and now you need to listen very carefully, verse 20 of of Colossians chapter 3 has tremendous and major implications for us. The implications are so tremendous, and yet so often we walk away from them. We don't realize. We haven't understood. We don't appreciate God's Word. We don't come to God's Word and read it as we should do to understand the responsibility that we have as parents, as Christian parents. Because this is what the verse is saying. The implications are there for us. Because generally speaking, children are not born obedient. Um, Sam is at a very early stage, but you will discover, guys, before too long, that one of the first words he will learn is the word no to what you want. And when you try to use the word to him, he won't understand it. At least he does understand it, but he doesn't want to. Because when you say no to a child, you discover very quickly that we have a natural ability to turn it round and to change it. So, what we have here is that verse 20 has a great implication for us. Because who is it that teaches our children to be obedient? Are they born wanting to be obedient? No. The natural inclination of the heart is not obedience. You see, you don't have to teach a child to be disobedient. It's a natural gift that they're born with. Ephesians 2 verses 1 and 2. And you he made alive. Please listen to these verses. And you he made alive. Now that will stop some of you already because you're saying to yourself, what is he talking about? Made alive. Paul goes on and says, who were dead in your trespasses and sin. You see, in our natural state, we're dead. That's what the Bible tells us. But here, this verse is telling us that something has changed for those who have put their trust and their faith in Jesus. Because Paul goes on and says, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. You see, the natural way of the world is disobedience. That's it. Have you ever noticed the occasions in Scripture that we're told of what God is thinking. There's quite a few of them. And we we got close to talking about one of them this morning when we were talking about Noah. Noah and his family and all the animals had just left the ark. Noah builds an altar to God and he makes a sacrifice to the Lord. That's in chapter 8 of Genesis, verse 21. And then we read these these words and, and sometimes we don't notice them because the words that we read here is God writing down what he's thinking, what he's thinking in his heart. And God says, in his heart, he's thinking to himself, the scriptures tell us, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. 
You see, God has made a promise there, but he's telling us a great deal about ourselves. He says the imagination of our heart is evil. We don't have to learn to be disobedient. God knows us. He knows us inside out. He made us. He created us. He knows what makes us tick as human beings, as people, as individuals. Now, many people don't want to accept this, but naturally speaking, men and women, boys and girls, can't help but disobey and be disobedient towards God. They walk contrary to his word. When his word says, don't do this, they do it. When God says in his word, if you live like this, you'll have a really good life. You'll have a happy life. And for some strange reason, we forget the fact that there is great blessing in walking with the Lord. And we go our own way and we do our own things. And we discover very quickly that then we walk into a very difficult situation because we've gone contrary to his word, contrary to his plans, contrary to the plan that he has for our lives. So obedience in general, we discover as we think about it ourselves, but also as we read God's word, that it has to be learned. And there are some of us this morning that also need to learn obedience. We need to learn obedience to call to God for our salvation because God says, I command you to repent and to call to me. And if you're not going to follow that commandment, then you're disobeying the word of God. So for our children to be pleasing to the Lord, we have to teach them obedience. Now do you see the imperative of the verse that we have before us? In fact, it's absolutely crucial because it is from our teaching of obedience to our children that we are able to encourage them to come to faith in Jesus Christ as Lord of their lives. For this very simple reason relationship with Jesus requires our obedience. You see, we have a massive impact on our children's relationship with God as parents. Uh, Joe was out with uh, some of the kids yesterday and I had the great privilege of sitting next to my two-year-old on the sofa at home. And she cuddled up. There was just the two of us. And you know what? Sometimes you need to take time individually with your kids. Now, you know, conversation with a two-year-old is not great. Okay? Sometimes, I, I think talking to other people, it's like having a conversation with a two-year-old. But in general, it's not a fan fantastic experience. And as we sat there and she snuggles up, she suddenly pulled a toy guitar. Okay? She can, you know, she speaks okay, but her vocabulary is somewhat limited. And she pulls this toy guitar on top and she starts to strum it. And do you know what she does? She goes, Jesus, Jesus, hallelujah, Jesus. And you try saying the word hallelujah when you're two. But do you see what I'm getting at? Now, I don't say it to try and be proud in any way whatsoever, but it was just a good example that you're your children are sponges. If you want to know what you're like, look at your kids. That's, that's a very harsh thing to say in some respects. But what is it that's precious to them? What are they learning? And to me, you know, I had tears flooding down my face because it meant that she had heard at two 
And she recognizes the important name Jesus. Because she wants to do what we do. And if you don't do what God wants you to do, how are your children going to do it? By default, we as parents cannot walk away from this issue and blame our children entirely because they are not interested in God. As Christian parents, we have a responsibility not just to house train our children. In this church, we're not inter- well, we are interested in house trained children, but we're not interested in house trained children. What we want are children that have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and are prepared to nail their colors to the mast and say, I belong to him and I'm not afraid to say that. I don't want people that just come in and say the right things, if you like. We're not interested in just house-trained children or parents, for that matter, who look great on a Sunday, come Monday morning, they're back to normal. We're not interested in outward Christians but we're interested in hearts that are obedient and have been changed. What a difference that is. Now, I remind you again that the uh, pattern of the Apostle Paul in most of his epistles was that he would give the doctrine first, and then, if you like, the reason why, and then he would talk about the practical outworkings of it, if you like, the how-to. And sometimes in churches we get plenty of the doctrine, but what we also need is the how-to. And so we've got to get that balance right between the two. And I love the way that Paul does it. So when we come to Colossians, for example, Paul begins by explaining what it meant to be united with Christ. Because, friends, that's the only way we cannot embitter our children. It's the only way that we can teach our children to obey so that they are pleasing to God. Because we need to know in our hearts what the imperative is. Paul explains that if we are saved, if we have been born again, and if these words don't mean anything to you, then you need to come to God and you need to seek Him, talk to me afterwards, whatever. But if we have been born again, then not only have we an entirely different view of God, but we find that our mind has changed. We find that our heart has changed. We find that our will has changed. And all of them are changed completely. Because this is what it means to repent and to turn to God. And here in the second half of Colossians, Paul gets on to the how-to. And that's the bit that we are looking at this morning. The how-to part of his letter to the Colossian Christians. And Paul explains the practical matters of fathers and children. And of course we can include parents in this. Children, obey your parents in all things For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. But we as fathers and parents and we as children cannot understand these verses if you just take them on their own. We have to apply the doctrine at the beginning of the letter. And the doctrine which is clearly given to us is this. Unless we know that our hope is in Jesus Christ. What is your hope in? Is it in Jesus? Or is it in your own life? In your own strength? Just turn to Colossians uh, chapter 1, if we may, uh, for a verse which is important. Colossians 1, uh, 27 and 28. 
To them God willed to make known what the riches of his glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Can I say that again? It's all about Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Jesus Christ. That's why we do it. But the key is Christ in you. And what does that give us? It gives us hope. And now when we come to our children, we suddenly find that we have the hope of Christ. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, I believe that the verse that we have before us this morning really applies to children who are still living at home, who are dependent or in a dependent relationship on their parents. Unlike the fifth commandment, which says, honor your father and your mother, which is a lifelong obligation to respect and to appreciate our parents. Now, the verses we have, as I say, are short. They're very to the point, but essentially they cover a massive uh, uh, subject matter, which we haven't got time this week. And so I hope that we'll have another opportunity before too long to continue to look at this uh, uh, subject. As we spoke uh, about fathers last time, you will remember that we included by, or rather concluded by recognizing that as fathers, as parents, we are to encourage our children to be confident in the Lord and not into themselves. Now, I recognize that that statement is not one that the world would ever accept. If you go to any educationalist from a worldly perspective, they will say to you, no, your children have to be confident in themselves. But the scriptures don't say that. And the teaching that we as Christian parents should give to our children is that their confidence, first and foremost, has to be in God, has to be in the Lord Jesus. The world tells us that our children should be confident in themselves. Confident in their own ability. And then it goes on and says some incredible things like, but that doesn't mean you can be confident in your sexuality. And you begin to wonder, how in the world is it that the teaching that is given to our children can be so inconsistent? The one thing about the gospel, about the scriptures, about the God that we love, is the fact that there is consistency in his word. But we know and we recognize that if our children are confident in the Lord, by default, they will have a great and gracious confidence in themselves because that's the best confidence that we can have is in ourselves through the Lord. Hebrews 13 verse 6. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. Can you say this? I will not fear. Can you say that? What can man do to me? Can you say that? Because this is the supreme confidence that is spoken of in the scriptures. But it always rests on our relationship with the Lord. Always. Our confidence has to be in the Lord. Proverbs 14 verse 26. In the fear of the Lord one has strong confidence. 
And then it goes on and says, and his children will have a refuge. Because that's the refuge for our children, is our confidence in God. We also all understand just how important it is that we and our families are in the will of God. We need to be living before our children with the idea that what is really important to us is that we are in the will of God and what and understand what the purposes of God for our lives are and particularly for our family. That we align ourselves. How do we as a family, how do our children align themselves with the will of God. Have you ever considered what the will of God is for you and your family? Is our family living by the values that align with what is important to God? Are we living consistently in the will of God? Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as living sacrifices holy acceptable to God which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What did we talk about earlier? Mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What is God's will for you and for your family? Is it to conform to the world? No, it's not to conform to the world. If you conform to the world, you're not conforming to God's will and his purpose for your family. Parents, I have to say to you, the stakes are high. And you have a short amount of time to realize the imperatives that are being presented here. We are not to conform to this world. Our families are not to be conformed to this world. We and our families are to be transformed. How? By a new mindset. A mindset which is actually out of this world. Because our citizenship is in heaven. Fathers in particular, we need to be fathers of our children as God is a father to us. And God's determined goal as our father is not to teach us self-confidence. Do you appreciate that and understand that? It is in fact to teach us to be confident in him. Confident in God. Something which is much bigger, enormously bigger, unbelievably bigger than having confidence in our own selves. Sometimes God in his kindness and in his fathering strips us of our self-confidence until there's nowhere left for us to run. And it's possible that there are some of us here this morning who understand this more than others. And it's also possible that there are some people here this morning who are beginning to understand what this means as you're sitting here and you're thinking to yourself the world around me is beginning to collapse things are going wrong I feel like I'm losing everything you feel like even the shirt on your own back is about to be snatched away. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9. He says, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble, which came to us, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, 
so that we even despaired of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but that we should trust in God who raised Jesus from the dead. I want you to absorb those words for a moment. Think about them. Where do you stand? Do we despair of even life itself? And Paul says God stripped us of our self-confidence. Brought us to the end where we could no longer rely on ourselves. Why? Just to be cruel to us? No. But that we would rely on him. Because that's the best place to be. Now, the Bible says a great deal about how to bring up children. It does. And I realize that sometimes parents can feel discouraged. Already, it could be that some of you are feeling discouraged this morning because you have endeavored to bring up your children to know and love the Lord Jesus. And you know the verses that pastors often quote, if you train up your child in the way that he or she should go, etc., she'll not depart from it. And you're sat there thinking to yourself, my kids have departed from it. They're not interested. However hard I try to share the love of Christ with them, they're just not interested. They have departed. And you're terribly sad about it and you don't know what to do. You genuinely tried. But remember, Scripture also says you can have a fool for a son. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands for any fathers here who think they've got a fool for a son because that would embitter your son particularly. So we don't do that. You see, our responsibility, and it's a great responsibility, must be that we as fathers, we as parents, provide an environment in our homes where our children can learn to grow and to depend upon God. So our responsibility is to provide that environment. So that when our children leave home, we hope they will do one day. Perhaps you're still hoping your children will leave home. But they will one day. And one day they're going to marry, perhaps, hopefully. And you want them to take with them the relationship that you have with Christ. But you want to see it in themselves. So you want to see them going out into this world as people who know and love the Lord Jesus, are obedient to him. And so it is this hope, as Paul talks about in Colossians and the early verses, early chapters, it is this hope that enables us to be good fathers because without it, we, how can we not provoke our children or discourage them? So that's what Paul has to say about fathers. And in some respects, that was a recap. But now we need to talk about verse 20, the verse before verse 21, which simply says, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Now, uh, I was talking to a father recently who thought it would be a great idea to paint that text on the uh, wall of his son's bedroom. Okay? Well, if you want to embitter your child, your son, then go ahead and give it a go. But that's not the right thing to do. You see, verse 20 of Colossians 3 applies as much to parents and perhaps particularly to fathers, as much as it does to our children. You see, the onus for us and for our children 
The onus for our children obeying us in all things really rests on us as parents, certainly initially in their lives, for children anyway. Where do our children learn to obey? Is it from watching eight hours of television a day? No, it's not. Is it from leaving your children in the company of a childminder? And I realize, you know, things are not always easy. But if you work out and you leave them in the hands of a childminder for eight, nine hours a day, who is not a believer and lives a natural, worldly orientated life, is that the way to teach your children? Obedience. Some parents don't see a problem with that. Is it from working all the hours that you can find and at the same time leaving your children to entertain themselves? Is that how they learn obedience? No, it's not. Is your hope for your children to learn obedience based on simply bringing them to church where the Bible is read and where there is a good Sunday school and where there's a good kids club during the week? I know, I'll leave it to someone else. Well, they'll get some encouragement, but it's not the responsibility that you have. You see, parents, we can come up with as many excuses as we want as to why we're not able to train our children to obey and be well-pleasing to the Lord. But the onus squarely rests on our shoulders. Tina and Herman, it rests on your shoulders. You can't palm your kids off to someone else to do it. It is your responsibility, and that's it, period. And now this is where it gets really serious. If you want your children to be obedient, and you are praying that they will come to faith in the Savior to please the Lord, then you need to teach them, you need to teach them to be obedient. But if you're not obedient to the Lord, how can you do it? Because you see, your children are watching you all the time. Your two-year-old is taking in everything that you say and everything that you do. You don't realize it, but they're just like little sponges. And they're watching all the time, and they see all the little details. Haven't you noticed how a two-year-old will suddenly run off and do something? You think, how did she learn that? She learned it from you. That's it. And so it's imperative that we teach our children well. If you want your children to be obedient, <coughs> if you drink to excess, so will your children. If you tell sexually explicit jokes and watch pornography, so will your children. If you put material things above God, so will your children. If you walk away from the Lord and don't show respect to him, and don't honor him and don't love him, then that will be the result that you will see in your children. If you live a life of anxiety and pressure, not relying on the Lord, then that's how your children will be in many cases. Now this might come as a shock to some, but even our Lord Jesus needed to learn obedience. There's a remarkable verse in Hebrews 5 which says he learned obedience by the things he suffered. He learned obedience by going through hard times. That's usually the way that we learn obedience. Now, of course, this word obedience sounds a bit oppressive, doesn't it? 
could even sound a bit tyrannical in some respects, and who wants to be obedient anyway? And of course I'm aware that there are some people here, even in our own fellowship this morning, who remember the cruelty meted out by parents who physically abuse their children in a domineering way. And I want to say to you that in this fellowship we have nothing to do with that. We never discipline our children out of anger. Never. But in this context, where there is love and encouragement and good communication and understanding, where there is conversation, children need to talk. Then we need to explain obedience. We need to teach obedience. And I suggest that there are three reasons why learning to obey is crucial. Firstly, obedience, we've touched on it already, develops a self-life or self-esteem. You see, the goal of discipline and the goal of obedience in our children is to teach them self-control. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, amongst other things. Proverbs 29.15 says, uh, this is a lovely one, a child left to himself brings shame on his mother. Okay, you leave that child up to their own devices and it will bring shame. And the scriptures say in this particular case, to the mum. Why? Because children need structure. Children need routine. Children need direction. Children do need discipline. And we parents must think hard about this. And of course, every family will have its own arrangements and its own dynamic in this area. But the principles are simple and they are the same. Children need boundaries. And within these boundaries, the child is free because it knows what the boundary is. But if they stray out of the boundary, there are consequences. The boundaries have to be understood and the boundaries have to be secure. They have to be reasonable and they have to be enforceable and they have to be enforced. The disservice that you do to your child when you say don't do this but don't enforce it is grave. Of course, children will test the boundaries, all of them do. In fact, children are forever testing the boundaries. At age two, they're testing the boundaries. Often when a child goes into some kind of tantrum, perhaps you're in Walmart and your child is now lying in the aisle of, uh, of, the, of the store and it's kicking its legs around and it's having a tantrum and it's shouting and it's screaming. And the only reason it's doing this is because you've said no to the candies. When this happens, you know that you've some teaching left to do. Our children need to know that no means no. What your child is actually doing is crying out for reinforcement. Your child is saying, I don't know where the boundaries are. Parents, no has to mean no. You see, believe it or not, it is with a clear understanding that a child finds security in knowing what no means. Please remember that no is not the first stage in some sort of negotiation process that you're entering into. You know, the child says no and you've got to make the next move and there's some sort of discussion takes place. That's not uh, what is taking place here. You also have to remember that reasonable punishment must be followed through so that your child knows the boundaries. Of course, we let the boundaries out as our children grow 
until eventually they're all removed. Now, this process, in theory, should take about 18 years. I think if you've got sons, it might take longer, okay? But in theory, it takes about 18 years. So we are in it for the long run. But when we get there, we hope and pray that we will see our children who become young adults who are self-controlled. Young adults who have a degree of maturity and responsibility. Now, people talk to me about teenage rebellion. Well, of course, we understand that there's no simple patterns here. But I want to remind all parents this morning that you actually train your teens when they're toddlers. Okay? And I'm assuring you it is much simpler if you take that approach. Parents, if your children don't know the meaning of the word no when they're little kids learning to walk, they're not going to learn the meaning of the word no when they're teenagers learning to drive your car. It's too late then. We have to be one step ahead. You've heard the saying, boys will be boys. Now, I was at a meeting at the BIA here in Norwich, and uh, a guy, in the, in the, not on the committee, but in the public, they were talking about these kids that go around with quad bikes and stuff in town leaving tire prints on the road everywhere. I, I think you've probably come across it. And someone shouted out, oh, come on, boys will be boys. And I thought for, for, for a moment, I said, well, yeah, that's true. It's a true statement. Boys will be boys, and you need to hear this part, who will be men, and the kind of men they become depends on the kind of boys they were allowed to be. Okay? So now we're beginning to see the imperative of the scriptures that we have before us, that children have to obey. But they can only obey when we teach them how to. Um, a lady by the name of Elizabeth Elliot, <clears throat> I met her on one occasion. She was the wife of one of those missionaries that was speared to death on that beach in the Amazon jungle somewhere. And Elizabeth Elliot very wisely said, parents used to want their children to be good. Nowadays, parents usually want their children to be happy. She went on to say the result of children being good usually was that they were happy because they were secure knowing what they were supposed to be and where they were supposed to be. But now parents want their children to be happy. Often that does not include secure boundaries and doesn't include being good. And so actually they're not happy. Happiness is one of those things, if you go for it, you actually miss it. The American Declaration of Independence states life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness as being the right for all people. But that statement is wrong. I'm sorry if there's any Americans here this morning. You see, happiness is not a goal in the Christian life. Holiness is the goal of the Christian life. 1 Peter 1.16, because it is written, it says that, because it's written, be holy for I am holy. This is speaking from Leviticus 19 verse 2. Happiness is the consequence of holiness. If you want to be happy in your life, then live a holy life. 
What does it mean to live a holy life? To be holy means to be set apart, to be separate from sin and evil. God is holy. He is completely separate from everything that is evil. 1 John 1 5. This is the message that we have heard from him and now declare to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. God calls us to be holy just as he is holy. But it's vital to understand that apart from God, it is impossible for us to be holy. Because sin will never allow us to be holy. Sin will never allow us to be pleasing to God. The natural man, the one who is a stranger to God, cannot live even a fraction of a second of a life pleasing to God. Last week at Jam, we had a young woman who stood outside of the cornerstone. And she reeled off an appalling list of pain and trouble in her life. Sexual assault, rape, suicide, the loss of a girlfriend to a drug overdose just a couple of weeks ago. And she's on her own and she's 14 weeks pregnant. And she says God is not interested. Which is interesting, bearing in mind she declared herself as an atheist. Pray for her. In fact, we'll do that now. Lord, we just pray for this young woman. And we just ask graciously, Father, that you would reveal to her the truth that she's seeking. In Jesus' name, amen. So how do we live the life that God wants us to live? How? And it's a question so often people ask. Well, friends, there is only one way. We must have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling us and filling us with his holiness. We can only live a holy life through the power of the Spirit. So the first step in living a holy life is to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's it. Repent of your sin Hand everything to him. Ephesians 1.13 speaks of it so beautifully. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. Well, you've heard the word of truth this morning and you've heard it many times as the scriptures are read. The gospel of your salvation in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is a guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possessions to the praise of his glory. So happiness is not our goal. Holiness is our goal. Parents, teach your children to be good. And how do we teach them to be good? By teaching them to be obedient. So learning to obey develops self-esteem in the child. Secondly, learning to obey develops a social life as well as our self-life. You see, it's in a loving home that a child's will needs to be molded. And parents, that's your responsibility. Nobody else can do it for you. It's your responsibility. It's in a loving home that a child needs to learn that he or she are not primarily there for their own desires, but they've been placed in a family where they can learn to share, where they can learn to take turns, where they can learn to play together. And so we learn to serve one another. And if we don't teach our children obedience... We don't make it easy 
for them to relate socially with other people. And if we don't teach our children obedience, we're prolonging that awful task and eventually it has to be given to the teacher. And do you know what? There are situations where it's the spouse that the child eventually marries who has to complete the teaching that we have failed to give so often. Here's a, a, a cutting from a Toronto newspaper. This article is entitled, Poor Discipline is the Consequence of Parents Spoiling Children. Classroom discipline is deteriorating because overindulgent parents are spoiling their children. They buy them everything they ever want, according to a Cambridge University study. Elementary school pupils are increasingly difficult to teach as they throw tantrums if they fail to get their own way. Their problematic behavior is being fueled by growing exposure to television, computers, and to video games. Often the television has become the babysitter. The study continues amid growing fears that standards are being undermined as children are increasingly unprepared for full-time education. The report says a small but significant number of parents fail to control their children in the face of mounting commercial pressures. Teachers describe permissive parents who admitted to indulging their children after and for the sake of peace, which of course it is a disastrous short-term thinking, or simply because they run out of alternative incentives or sanctions, says the report. Elementary schools report problems with parents who often become confrontational if criticism is brought towards their children. We raise our children to become healthy, wholesome adults who themselves will become good husbands to wives and good wives to their husbands, good parents to their children, good citizens, good workers, good colleagues. But if we fail to teach them obedience, we allow them to become self-centered and therefore selfish and do their own thing, thinking that it is their right and it is not their right and we create huge problems for them themselves as they go into their marriages and into their families and adult life. So parents teach your children to obey. Thirdly, lastly, and very briefly, learning to obey can and often does develop spiritual life. Notice why children ought to obey. We've said it already several times. Verse 20, because this is very pleasing to the Lord. Paul says in Ephesians, Ephesians 5 and verse 10, it's a lovely verse, he says, find out ways that please the Lord. What a verse. Find out ways that please the Lord. Well, obedience pleases the Lord. That's a good place to start. So teach your children obedience because this word obey is crucial in Scripture. I can give you lots of references. When God spoke to the nation of Israel in, Ezekiel, in Exodus 19, he says, if you obey me fully and keep my commandments, then out of all the nations, you'll be my treasured possession. Joshua says, he says, be, grace, uh, be careful to obey all the laws my servant Moses gave you, and, gave you and don't turn to the right or to the left. And the Psalms are full of it. Obey your decrees. I will obey your word. And many, many more. Jesus himself in John 15 verse 10 said to his disciples, I have obeyed my father's commands and I remain in his love. Well, he would do because he's obedient to his father. 
And then he goes on and Jesus says to his disciples, if you love me, you will obey what I command you. And conversely, in that same section of scripture, he says, he who does not love me will not obey my teaching. So loving him and obeying him are intricately related and connected. And we make it so hard for our children to bring their lives under the lordship of Jesus if we do not teach them to obey. And therefore, teaching children to obey is much more than just the convenience of having well-behaved children. So much more than simply preparing them for life where the world does not revolve around them. It's preparing them to live in relationship with God. It's preparing them for a relationship with a God who loves, but who directs and guides. And we must bring our lives into obedience. And there it is that you will find your security and peace. And all of this, of course, in the context of love and kindness. But are you giving your children the time they need? Final paper clipping. The belief that time is money has become the driving force of modern life. To children, however, time equals love. It's the most and the worst indictment of our age that we spend so little time with our children to instill good behavior by example and instruction. Research suggests that children would choose to have more of their parents' time above the highest standard of living in the world, above them splashing out for birthdays and Christmas in an attempt to make up for the time that they have not spent with their children. Children need adults to just play games with them. It makes the child feel wanted and loved, creating a healthy self-confidence that is the basis of good behavior. That's the newspaper cutting. If time is love, then absence is the most basic form of abuse that you can give. Let me say that again. If time is love, then absence is the most basic form of abuse you can give. We're not bad people, but we can be the worst parents if we don't have time for our children. Children are very traditional. All they need is love, and all they need is time. Paul says, fathers, don't embitter your children. Don't give them a reason to grow up with bitterness. Bitterness, you see, is a deeply rooted poison. And once you've allowed it to grow in your heart, it's very hard to get it out. Fathers, he says, don't embitter your children. Don't discourage them. Fathers, give your children hope. This is what Paul explained in his opening chapters of Colossians. Hope and encouragement. From that will come the confidence to live. And we pray a dependence upon God. Parents, it's one of the greatest privileges to be a parent. One of the greatest privileges in the world. It's also one of the greatest challenges in the world. It's one of the most demanding things in the world. And it's one of the most expensive things in the world. It's one of the most joyful things in the world. And Paul says to these Colossian Christians to whom he's writing, he 
he says this, in Jesus you can do it. In Jesus you can do it. And that's what the whole first part of his letter is about. In Jesus.